The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. When I heard Dwight Twilley's first single, I'm on Fire, it was played on the radio in 1975. It was such a bright, rockabilly stunner of a song that I was looking forward to many more hits from this Tulsa, Oklahoma artist. But like a lot of musicians, you just sort of lost track of him. He had another top 20 hit in 1984 called Girls, but then faded to the background. Twilly and partner Phil Seymour, which were great together, performed as the Dwight Twilly Band with the great original guitarist Bill Pitlock IV through 1978, but then Seymour would go his own way. Various personnel would come and go, including a couple of cow sills. Susan and John joined the band for a time, but as Dwight will tell it in this interview, there were a lot of problems with the music business that would sidetrack his career. Some things that did go well, though, were working with the great Leon Russell and the late great Tom Petty, as you'll hear. I'm happy to report that Dwight Twilley still loves playing live, although the pandemic has cut short plans recently, and there could be new material soon, as I have Dwight on the line right now from his home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, Dwight, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks so much. It's It's been like uh, chasing a unicorn, finally trying to uh, talk to you. Well, I do have a bit of a pointed head. Well, welcome. I, I hope that you're feeling well. I know that when we tried to set this up about a year ago, I think you were not feeling too well at that point. Hopefully it was not COVID. No. Okay, good. And you're in Tulsa, yes? Mm-hmm. You grew up there? Yes. What was your life like growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and what did your parents do? Oh, my dad was a mechanical engineer, and uh, um, my my mom was a homemaker. Five boys. Yeah, that must have been a handful for uh, your parents. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was their idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like I'm trying to blame you, Dwight. <laughs> well, who were you listening to on the radio when you were a kid? Well, I liked a lot of things on the radio, but I was, you know, the uh, the Beatles changed my life. Right. This, I was just, you know, I, you know, I was a huge Elvis Presley fan too, and um, so many artists. Yeah, and I mean, when I listen to your music, as I have over the years, I I hear all kinds of things. I hear rockabilly, I hear the Everly Brothers, and I hear the Beatles for sure. Yeah. Have you watched the Beatles docu series, the Peter Jackson series? Yeah, I've seen it. I really enjoyed it. What did you get from that, just watching the way that they would... I mean, even to me, even the mundane moments were pretty fascinating, weren't they? Where they were just sitting there trying to figure things out and trying to uh, make a song work. Well, if you're just watching that, you're going to see that they put together like half a dozen songs, uh, high enough quality to be on a record or to be performed in front of an audience, you know, and just like... Was it 12 days or something? Yeah. Kind of did it matter-of-factly. Yeah, and it was interesting to me just to watch Paul working out the song Get Back and how it just sort of came to him. It's almost like magic watching it, isn't it? Yeah, they were pretty magical. And then George Harrison doing the uh, material that would eventually be on All Things Must Pass, and right. John and Paul just saying, eh, do you have anything else? Yeah. <laughs> 
When did you pick up the guitar, uh, I should say, as a kid? What, what was that era like for you? I don't know. I think I was around 15 or something. Yeah, and it seems like almost every musician that I've talked to, whether it's Lindsey Buckingham, Nancy Wilson, or Randy Bachman, they, they saw the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, and they wanted to be in a group. And so I'm sure that when you were a kid, were you looking for other like-minded uh, people that you could kind of jam with? You know, it just all kind of happened naturally. It was just there, whether I was looking for it or not, it was looking for me. How old were you when you met Phil Seymour, and, and where did you guys meet? Uh, we met at <laughs> a screening of, uh, anyway, a screening of Hard Day's <laughs> Night. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, at the Bowman Twin Theater here in Tulsa. So you saw that in a theater. That was a couple years before I was going to see movies. That must have been really something to see it in a theater. Were girls screaming even in the theater then? It was later than that. It was like a, a matinee type thing. Where they were actually showing help too. And, oh, nice. Um, you could get in free if you brought, brought a little kid with you. <laughs> okay. So there was like, Phil and I were like the tallest people in the line. And then there was a whole line of little kids. <laughs> you could get in free if you brought a little kid with you. Doesn't that seem kind of weird? Yeah, it does. <laughs> what were they thinking? I know. Thinking back on it, uh, well, it was kind of magical, that partnership you and Phil had. I mean, you guys look like you could have been brothers, first of all, but just the sound, so smooth. Yeah, that kind of came naturally for us. It was it was a very magical experience. You guys would put together, what, a cassette of songs and bring them around to people? Yeah, eventually, yeah. Sometimes it would be a reel-to-reel, -reel, and then we'd make cassettes from the reel-to-reel. -reel. Yeah, I remember doing that in my early radio days. Kids, there was something called a reel-to-reel. -reel. By the way, was I'm on fire on that original group of songs? Oh, no, no. It was long down the line. How important was it for you guys to get hooked up with the right producer-mentor? The first producer-type character that we worked with, his name was Ray Harris. And um, he saw something in us and, and invited us down to uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, of all places. Wow, nice. <laughs> and so we were hanging out like at Elvis's birthplace and things like that. <laughs> and what did he tell you to do with your sound? Was he What kind of instruction was he giving you guys? Well, his, his first main instruction was, y'all sing like pussies. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. He yeah. Did. And that was actually really um, important information to us. So he wanted you to kind of beef up beef up the sound. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, we were like little Simon and Garfunkel guys. Yeah. Trying to get us to rock. And that worked, really. And once you did, I mean, to me, you kind of, that sound, like when I first heard I'm on Fire on the radio, it, it really kind of reminded me a lot of Del Shannon, maybe. Mm-hmm. How was it that you would wind up signing with uh, Shelter Records? <laughs> That's, I haven't told the story in so long. It's, we had a, we made a tape to take with us to L.A. We made a tape in Tulsa on our own little, you know, we had little studios of our own. And, um, and we brought a, had a song that had like 12 songs on it. We had a TIAC four-track. Yeah. And we borrowed a TIAC four-track from... A friend of ours, and he, um, and with the two four tracks, we could make one tape that we were able to make a uh, cassette from, or reel to reel, or whatever, just to give copies out to people. And uh, 
so we had made this tape, and and uh, how did that happen? Then he, we were... T- it was a while ago. Yeah, it is a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> up on myself too much. No. Uh, he uh, ended up following us out to L.A. Hey, you know, we didn't um, even plan on connecting with Shelter, but, you know, everybody in Tulsa that was doing anything... They, everybody was trying to get in with Leon or get get in with Delta Records. You're talking about Leon Russell here. Yeah, right. And we didn't really want to do that. Uh, we just didn't really think we fit in with that. And so uh, we went out there and we're going to play it, our tape for someone else. And this guy followed us out with the tape. He, he had taken uh, uh, one of my songs, Erased, or yeah, Erased, the lead vocal tracks, which were, were Phil and I and put his own lead vocal on one of my songs and taken it to shelter. You know, it's the first thing he did. He went immediately. So it was right here in Tulsa driving out all the way, you know, (laughs) Los Angeles. And first thing he does is go immediately into shelter records. They liked the song, and he made the mistake of saying, he's got a (laughs) bunch. My wife is answering all your questions. (laughs) We're both listening to the other room from here. She's a sweetheart. I've talked to her a couple times. I like her. But Leon Russell, I mean, my God, Dwight. He was such a uh, huge influence in the music business, producing in his own solo career, a member of the Wrecking Crew. It was That was kind of a cool thing. And didn't he eventually, didn't he have a home in Tulsa? Oh, yes. That's where we recorded. Right? Yeah. After we got signed to Shelter, we were recording at the, the church studio here. One day he just showed up. It turned out, you know, he, to me, he always from the outside, he looked, you know, he's kind of a... He's kind of a scary looking dude, wasn't he? Yeah. He was kind of intimidating. <laughs> You know, and um, he just showed up. At, we were working in the studio, the control room, and all of a sudden he was just there, like off in the back, sitting against the wall. He, he turned out that he was just, just such a kind and generous man. We were very lucky to have met him, and we learned a lot from him. You know, right to down to the fact that he, you know, just brought us into his own house, and we got some songs with him. I'll bet he had quite the recording studio in his house. Yeah, he did. He had a well one of a kind studio in those days. It was a forty track. Oh, okay, yeah. Nobody had that. No. Stevens forty track. Wow. So when did I'm on fire finally get to the point where you're recording it and where did you do that? We recorded I'm on fire at the church. With uh, with other songs, or was that just kind of an initial thing? No, we had our main intent was to uh, it was I'm on fire, but we had I think we recorded six songs the first time we were at the studio, the first sessions. The first time I heard that on the radio, I was a senior in high school, and it was just nothing like that in terms of just the energy that it put out. It was different than anything else that was being played on the radio. It was fantastic. Do you remember the first time you heard it on the radio? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. In your hometown. Yeah, that's actually true. We They had sent us over to, uh, to London. Yeah, we came back. You were in England, what, doing promotion for it? No, we were recording. And, um, yeah, so when we left and uh, went over there and worked for a while, we were normal people. And uh, by the time that we came back and arrived in the States, we were different people because we had a record on the radio. You had a hit song. And so how did that change things in terms of what you would do as a band? Was there a promotion for it on TV and radio? What, what, was, the, what was the next step? 
it was just all the normal things, you know, that, that not weren't normal to most people. But, but. So, but you have this huge hit song. Was there a thing where you were going to be attached to other bands' concert tours? Or, or what was the next, in terms of live performances, what was coming up? Uh, our tour was arranged, a couple of different tours. But at this point, wasn't Shelter basically falling apart? Yeah, not really quite yet. It was soon to fall apart. And so what became of your relationship with Leon Russell after you've got this hit, you're out there touring? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't see him that much after that. You had a hit record, so and you said that you had recorded these other songs. So did was the record out there for a while before an album would come out? Yeah, for sure. And what about Church? Was that still there, or...? It's still here, and it's uh, been refurbished, and we're planning on doing some recording there in the future. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It looks real nice. Yeah, I've seen I've seen you post pictures on your Facebook page. You, it's kind of funny. You said that Tulsa has created such great musicians, but that if you're from there, it's important that you get out. <laughs> yeah, but, everybody- <laughs> but you came back. I mean, you just have those ties that you want to stay there. Yeah. So what is the connection between you and Tom Petty? I mean, there's people have seen threads of you and, and Petty on video together. I know that you've done some record you had done some recording together. It always seemed cool to see that because he looked like he fit in right, you know, with your band. We was, uh, you know, he, we were both signed by Denny Cordell and uh, we got along real well together and you know, worked with each other throughout the years. I think you said that he had you come into the studio and listen to this new song they were doing. It turned out it was Breakdown. Yeah. And so we, this gets gets murky too, but we worked on some of his records too. Phil sang on some of his songs. Phil and I sang on some of his songs and he ended up singing on one of mine. I love your song, Looking for the Magic. And I think Petty played guitar on that one. Yeah, he did. Really, it's a... He's just really kind of plucking on a bass. But I guess it was, he did play guitar, too. He's doing just kind of a wacka, wacka, wacka. I like what you said about Petty. I mean, it's obvious how talented Tom was and how great that band was. But you said something else, that he was a good businessman. He knew how to hold his band together, which isn't easy. It's like herding cats. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It's the old story, isn't it, Dwight? I mean, there's just so many egos, it's almost impossible. Yeah, it's not easy. Crazy business. Yeah, we saw it in the Beatles docuseries, I guess. There's a video out there of the Dwight Twilley band performing I'm on Fire around 82 or 83, and I loved that band, Bill Pitlock IV, just incredible. But yeah. you had you had Susan Cowsill singing harmonies and John Cowsill playing drums. How did the Cowsill connection come about? You know, it's just a California thing. Was that something that lasted for a while, where they, where they were in the band, or was it just a few dates? No, they never joined the band or anything. It was just they were really good players. Yeah, I think people didn't really get the fact that they were all kind of talented musicians, besides the fact they could all sing. Yeah. So what is the future for you? You talked about how you, you, you'll you be recording again at the church, but what is the future for you as maybe going out and playing some dates? Well, you know, up till like before this deadly disease hit the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the last few years we've just been playing everywhere, well, everywhere in the you know United States and Canada, and we were really having a lot of fun with it. I was doing a, like an ac- acoustic show, and 
we called the act uh, "Look Ma No Band," <laughs> going all over the country, and uh, we were pleasantly surprised that that you know that people had remembered who we were and and uh, really enjoyed the show, and we were really enjoying it. So, is that something that could happen again? What if I mean? I don't know. Not moment you know it's like for any of those kind of scenarios you want you want an audience you know it's like in the current state of affairs you you know you don't want an audience i know here in vegas there are bands that you know are coming in and playing and then there are some who are canceling even to this day so you just never know well i'd love to see you here in vegas at some point it would be fantastic i i Love the Dwight Twilley Band, and you're one of my all-time favorites. It was so nice to to talk to you for a bit, and and your wife Jan and your dog Scout. I heard in the background too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you stay well and everything uh, goes goes well, and and the recordings go well at the church in the future. It's great talking to you, Dwight. Great talking to you, Jan. All right, buddy. Bye bye. Maybe both survive them. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. All right, bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Dwight Twilley now enjoys the fact that he has his own studio and doesn't have to follow anyone else's rules. And it's nice to hear that he is heading back into the studio to do some new material. Well, that does it for this edition of the Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.